And I just have two things to uh, announce, two things to draw your attention to. One of them is that we have healing rooms coming up on Sunday, November 5th and 12th, from 7 to 8.30 in the evening, a Sunday evening. And healing rooms are sponsored by our School of Kingdom Ministry. And in healing rooms, you have a little more time to receive prayer than you get here on Sunday morning. And so you have 15, 20 minutes where they can uh, just spend some time focused on you and uh, what, your, what your needs are, whether it's physical healing, emotional healing, uh, any, any other need in your life, you can uh, come to healing rooms and get prayer. You need to come at 7 o'clock, between 7 and 7.30, we'll register, and then the whole prayer time will, will uh, take uh, through 8.30. Of course, if you come... If you're the first one here at seven and you get into your prayer room at the beginning, uh, when you're finished, then you're free to go. The whole thing doesn't, you, you don't have to stay the whole time. Don't want to have any misunderstandings about that. Okay, second thing. We're in this series, Power Outside the Walls, which Luke's going to bring us a great message today on that topic. But we're going to end this whole series with a conference called Outside the Walls. And that's going to happen November 17th, 18th, and 19th. I encourage you to mark that in your calendar. We're going to have a guest speaker here by the name of Chad Dedman. Chad is from Bethel Church in California, and he's going to bring a team uh, from his church that will be here with us for the weekend. It's going to be a powerful weekend. We're going to let you know more about that conference in upcoming weeks. We'll give you a preview of who Chad is and, and, um, and let you know more about it. But mark that down in your calendars, too. This is all in your program. Pick one up on the way out. Or just download the app, the Vineyard app, and everything in the program is put on the app every week so you can read it there uh, just as uh, exactly the same as what's in the paper program. Now later we're going to receive our offering um, and make checks out to Vineyard Northwest. But for right now, I'm going to introduce our Zimbabwe team. We recently had... Uh, Luke Hazelmeyer, Will Cochran went to Zimbabwe and were accompanied by Barry Long. And uh, Will and Luke are on staff here. Barry is a longtime vineyard leader and pastor, pastor of the Northern Kentucky Vineyard, planting pastor there, and then pastored there for 30 years, and a close personal friend of mine. So let's welcome this team up, okay? Let's welcome them. Good morning, everybody. That was a much more voracious, warm welcome than we got first service. So I'm just going to chalk that up to you guys are more awake than the 930 crowd. Hey, if you don't know, this is the third year in a row that Luke and I have traveled to Zimbabwe. Um, it's just been a real privilege to get to be a part of how God's moving there. And this year was just, I would say, the best trip so far. So we left on September 27th and got back on October 10th. So we were gone a little bit under um, two weeks. And the first thing I want to just highlight about the trip was your guys' generosity. And this church's generosity in giving and in praying for us and supporting us in those ways. We um, exceeded our financial goal by, like, I think, $1,000. So we were able, yeah. So thank you guys, seriously, for giving sacrificially. We were able to bless the team there big time because of your guys' giving. All of that went straight into resourcing them, to blessing them with meals, and just kind of treating them a little bit nicer than than the average kind of day they have. So for the next couple minutes, we're going to share about the trip. And um, just to kind of bring context to that, let me share with you what our goal in going was. First and foremost, it was to pour into and to continue to develop a relationship with Romulus. Will you guys bring up picture number two? Romulus is not a Romulan from Star Trek. Uh, (laughs) Romulus is the guy on the far left. He is the leader of the Vineyard Empowerment Center there, the vineyard in Harare, which is uh, the one that we've been a part of planting. Vineyard, um, uh, Romulus is a really amazing guy. He has his master, he has an MBA, so a master's in business, and then a master's in leadership development, and now he's going back to get his uh, doctorate. But this guy is a leader of leaders. Seriously, he's the kind of person that can bring change and reformation and revival into the whole country. I really believe that. So it's been so key um, spending time with him. And how many of you know that there's nothing that can replace face-to-face relationship? 
and face-to-face interaction. Emailing, Skyping, that's all great, but there's something really important about actually us being there with him and taking that terrible 16-hour flight to uh, go see them and to love on them. Next to Romulus is his wife, Sile. I mean, she's kind of in, in, the, in the front. I'm not his wife. I'm actually next to him. But uh, his wife, Sile, is in front of me. And then you have Barry, who's sitting right here. Rudolph, who's our driver. He's been our driver the past two times we've gone. And this year, he got baptized. So that was pretty incredible. And then you have Luke all the way on the left. So with that in mind, we went there to continue to pour into and develop relationship. And then also we went there just to be servants. We went there to serve them, to serve the nation. Um, A major way we got to do that, a major way we got to do that was through uh, teachings and trainings, but also just through doing life with them and uh, rubbing shoulders. So Barry, I'm going, to give, I'm going to hand the mic over to Barry now. And like my dad said, Barry has been in the vineyard for quite some time. He's basically like older than, he's been in the vineyard since the, literally the beginning. He was saved in the first vineyard church that ever, that ever existed in California. And the vision to plant a vineyard in uh, the city of Harare in Zimbabwe, that's Barry's vision to see an actual church established there. So he was kind of the person that spearheaded this whole partnership years ago. And this is the first time he got to go back for several years. So Barry, share with us what it was like for you. It was great. I want to just echo uh, what Will just said about your generosity. Um, Because it takes patience to plant a church. And it takes faithfulness to plant a church. You can do humanitarian work relatively easily with your checkbook. Humanitarian work bears instant results. People don't die. That's a good thing. Planning a church, those who support it often ask us, what, what's taking so long? Because it's harder to plant a church. But all the research shows that church planting is the very best way to do evangelism. That's the work you're involved in, is church planting. And it takes patience and faithfulness. And I'm so delighted to be here today uh, looking over a group of people who've done both those things. So again, thank you for doing that. Give yourself a round of applause. It's actually kind of egotistical for you to do that, but that's a joke. Come on. Can I tell you two Zimbabwe stories? Uh, because, as Will said, relationships are the most important thing we do when we go because those are the things that, that last. But when you plant churches, they last beyond us. In other words, we're creating new communities there that will be there after we're all with the Lord. So that's another way to think about church planting. It's multi-generational. It, it transcends generations. So you're really taking the long view when you're in this kind of work. So that's really good. Let me tell you a, a couple of stories. First of all, I will tell you a story about a lady who's probably, oh, my age, about 70. I'm about 68 now. And she was sitting there at a roadside stand. Since there's 90% unemployment, roadside stands are very popular there. They're all the rage. Did you hear me say 90% unemployment? That's Zimbabwe right now. And so I don't know what they were selling, but one of the people in our group uh, knew them and began a conversation. And uh, the elderly lady, uh, she had really bad arthritis in her knees, and it was hurting her right then. And when we asked to pray, you could tell she got a look on her face that she'd been prayed for lots of times. You know, one of those, okay, if you must, kind of looks, you know. Um, And we prayed for her, some simple prayer, you know, inflammation, go in the name of Jesus, something like that, which is the way Jesus prayed. So we're just imitating him, and uh, he is our model for prayer in the first place. And before long, a big smile went across her face, and she began to move her legs like this. And then she began to laugh. As this is a 70-year-old woman, you know, she began to laugh. And so uh, we figured something good was happening, and then she just continued to laugh and move her legs like, like she was swinging on a swing or something. And so you know something happened. By the time we got done praying for her, her partner over here, um, she was still laughing and doing this. 
So I think God really gave her a lot of help. And I mean, what are the chances some white guy from 12,000 miles away comes in, you know, I mean, so those kinds of things went on in the streets and we got to pray in the streets for a lot of, a lot of people. One other story. Uh, there was three, were three people, and they looked relatively prosperous. They were part of the 10%, I, I would have guessed, that had jobs there. And the one in the middle was especially all decked out. And they were joking and laughing with us. They got Western jokes, and, you know, they were kind of showing off a little bit, and we were having some fun with them, myself and a guy named uh, Darlington, who was with us, and Sile, uh, uh, pa- the pastor's wife. We were all there. And... Um, I felt like the Lord whispered to me about the woman in the middle of these three people. And I felt like the Lord was saying, she used to be mine. She's not mine right now, and I want her back. Or something like that. And uh, so I said that to her, and, and she was very moved, I think, to tears, if I recall correctly, and suddenly, instead of jokes and laughing, everybody got serious. And so we got to pray for all three of them. Remarkable things went on with the other two as well. But I was especially concerned about this woman. I said, I said Jesus wants you back as we started to turn and go away. I said, what are you going to do about it? She goes, well, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> like, you know, she, she was like, totally, I was putting the pressure on her at that point, you know. But those kinds of things happened on the street as we went out and prayed for people. Then we got to invite them to the particular small group that met in their neighborhood. And there are five of them right now that make up the church of about 100 people. So, Thanks, Barry. Hey, guys. So I'm Luke. And one of the days we were praying for people in one of the poor neighborhoods in Harare. And so we were going home to home, and we get invited in, and we pray for the people that were inside. So we walk into one of these homes, and just to give you a picture of it, there were two rooms. One room was a bedroom, and the second room was like a kitchen, dining room, living room, family room combined kind of a thing. And it was really interesting because there would be like brick, it'd just be brick walls or cinder block walls, um, sometimes dirt floors. And outside, there were no roads, but there'd almost always be like a big screen TV inside these houses. So it's really interesting. And this one place we went into, there was, um, there's like five people in there, and laying on a comforter on the cement ground was a woman who was pregnant with her two kids next to her. And so she had pain in her sides from her pregnancy. And so we asked if we could just pray that God would take her pain away. So we prayed for a total of three times, and her pain did leave, which was awesome. But something really interesting happened that I'd never seen before. Um, I started praying, and I prayed for about 10 seconds, and then I stopped. And then her, she was kind of like laughing in her face. And the person that I had someone else lay um, hands on her stomach while we were praying for, and that person was laughing too. And I was like, what's going on? They're like, starting when you started praying and then ending right when you ended praying, the baby started moving. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. So then I had someone else pray the second time because she had moderate relief, but wasn't, all of her pain wasn't gone. So then one of our team members started praying and he prayed for like four seconds and they were laughing again. And they're like, the same thing happened right when he started praying, the baby started moving and right when he stopped, the baby stopped moving. And then it happened a third time, exact same way. And so she got, she, all of her pain left, but she was actually more blessed by the fact that uh, I guess the Holy Spirit was moving the baby, you know? So that's cool. So rest assured, the extra money you guys gave did not go to buying anybody a big screen TV, all right? <laughs> really quickly, I just want to say one of the things that um, stood out to me amidst all the brokenness, all of the, you know, radical unemployment, like I can't imagine that, and the things that come along with that, the poverty, the lack of nutritious food, the lack of um, medical attention that you would need, you would think that that would just be like um, totally a distraction, right? 
to Christians and that would make them like kind of have a pity party for themselves. But it actually, I saw it have the reverse effect for the Vineyard Empowerment Center team. There is an extra focus. There is an extra singular vision in their mind to see the kingdom come. And if you bring up uh, the first picture, you can see uh, Romulus's team here. This is a whole, his whole group of all the different house group leaders, their home group leaders. And these guys are some of the most passionate, dedicated people I've ever met. They would cross river and mountain just to go and share the gospel in different areas of Zimbabwe and to attend home groups and to put on prayer meetings. And that's the really neat thing about uh, Romulus's vision. And it's very, that's one of the things that draws this church's heart so close to him is that he wants to see, and he has seen so far, five different house groups or home groups start all around the city. They're all, like, he is kind of like the overarching leader of it all. That's what we would call as their vineyard, is those five different home groups. They gather monthly, a couple times a month for a prayer meeting, like an all-night prayer thing, or a, uh, like, corporate worship service like this. But every single week, every single Sunday, these leaders are spread, spread out around the city where they live, hosting a home group, where people are coming and being fed a meal, um, having a Bible study, worship, and then ministry time. And so it's just so powerful to see something that is impacting the entire city. And that you, we can all know we're a part of something that's not just impacting this neighborhood of uh, Harare, Zimbabwe, but we're actually seeing the kingdom come throughout all different areas of the city of Harare. And there's a citywide influence and citywide impact happening. So it was really challenging for me, from my perspective on like, you know, Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And most of the times I equate that to not snoozing my alarm on Sunday mornings, but to getting up a little bit earlier to come to church or have a quiet time. But for them, it's seeking first the kingdom means taking care of their family and then walking a half hour to a bus stop to pay their dollar that they have for a 45 minute bus ride to another area of town to be part of a home group. That's what seeking first the kingdom looks like for them. So it's just like sobering uh, perspective for me. And I hope it is for you too, honestly. I hope it stirs you for more passion and more focus on seeing the kingdom advanced in Cincinnati. But I just thought it'd be cool if we ended by praying for Zimbabwe together. Does that sound good? You know, we were there when uh, the horrific shooting happened in Las Vegas. Broke, Broke our hearts. And what was... Very interesting and very cool was that as soon as our friends in Zimbabwe found out about it, their first response was, let's pray for America. How can we pray? They, uh, they said, do you guys have family or friends um, that were affected by this? Let's pray. Let's pray for God to bless the families for healing and for God to release his mercy over your nation. So they weren't stuck in this mentality of we're in a terrible position. We ought to fend for ourselves." Instantly, they went to thinking about us and how they could pray for the United States. So you guys want to stand and join me and let's just pray for Zimbabwe. And, and you guys can be, I would encourage you just on a daily basis, lift up a prayer for the Vineyard Empowerment Center in Harare for Romulus and Sile, um, the leaders of the church. But let's just pray together. So Father, first of all, just thank you so much for how you are spreading your love and your light in Zimbabwe. Thank you for how you're at work amongst all the different churches, amongst all the different Christians in the nation. But right now, we specifically speak your blessing over Romulus and Sile and their son and the Vineyard Empowerment Center there in Harare. We speak your blessing over the vineyard movement in Zimbabwe, and um, we pray that you would continue to move and you continue to remind us to pray and to join our hearts with them. We just speak hope amidst the economic turmoil in the country. In Jesus' name, we speak life over the land and no drought, but the rain would come in Jesus' name. And I just pray that the economy would be stimulated in such a way that it would create jobs. And that once again, Zimbabwe would be known as the breadbasket of Africa. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again, you guys. Hey, everybody. Barry was just telling me a joke to get me to loosen up at the beginning of my service. So... Yeah, so if this is your very first time here, man, so happy that you're with us this morning. Maybe you are newer to church, maybe you are newer to, maybe you haven't actually made the decision to follow 
Jesus yet. And we just want to say thank you so much for being here. Unfortunately, odds are, if that's you, you've been hurt by the church or you've been hurt by a Christian at some point in your life. Maybe you've been judged. Maybe someone has said something hurtful to you. Maybe there's been actions that have hurt you that Christians have done or a church has done in the name of God. And so I just want to say we recognize that there are people in here who have all kinds of hurt from, uh, from Christians and from the church. And so if that's you, I just want to tell you from the beginning that what my goal is this morning is to talk to the Christians in, the, in this room, to talk to the people who have made that decision to follow Jesus and to talk about what does it look like to share our faith in a way that doesn't cause other people to feel judged or hurt or insulted. Really, the topic, the main topic of the series Power Outside the Walls is evangelism. And last week I gave a message talking about this idea of power evangelism. I'm not going to go super deep into what that means or why we believe what we believe about it, but if you have questions after what I share this morning, feel free to go on our Facebook page. You type in Vineyard Northwest into the search bar. It'll be the first option. Click on that and you can find in the, uh, you can find on that page um, a video recording of last week's. But just to review, let's start with a definition. When I say power evangelism, what I mean is this, relying on the power of God to compel people to decide to enter into a, a relationship with him. Relying on the power of God, and not just on the power of God, but on a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power to compel people to accept Jesus, to enter into a relationship with God. Now, one thing I want to clarify is that although power evangelism is our default method for evangelism, it's not the only one that we want to use. Because if you've started praying for people, you know that sometimes we pray and something powerful happens Other times, we pray, and absolutely nothing happens. And so there are going to be times as we are attempting to to pray for a demonstration of God's power and God's love to impact a person. There are going to be times when nothing happens. Just expect it. That's the reality. And so when that happens, we we can't just be like, oh, well, sorry, you didn't experience what I thought you were, so I guess uh, God doesn't want you. You know, we can't, obviously we can't do that. That's where we go into, okay, well maybe I should share a little bit of my story. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Um, And so we have to be open to what God is, how God is leading us in the moment. But our default method is power evangelism. And if you want to know why, again, I encourage you, take a look at last week's message. So what I want to share this week is five, I want to share five steps to going from doing no evangelism to living a lifestyle of evangelism. And so my hope is that you can uh, learn two, or you can see two things after the message this morning. One, where am I in these five steps? And two, what is my next step? So with that said, let's just dive into step one of developing a lifestyle of power evangelism. Step one is this, a willing heart. Step one is a willing heart. And the phrase that I would say that characterizes this step is, I want to do more evangelism. I have a willing heart toward sharing what God has done in me with others in hopes to see God do that in them. I want to do more evangelism. We actually see that doing evangelism was... One of the first things that Jesus said to his disciples when he called them. If we read Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus calls two of his disciples, Peter and Andrew, for the very first time, this is what he said to them. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. When Jesus said to you, hey, follow me, What was also in that statement, follow me, was follow me because I want to send you out 
to get more people to follow me. And so it's, evangelism is not just for mature Christians who have been growing in the Lord for years. It's for people right away. In fact, there are stories in the Bible where someone gets powerfully impacted by Jesus, decides to start following him, and then one of the first things that Jesus says to them is, hey, go and share with all of your friends what God has done for you. So this is step number one. And some actions that will go along with step number one. First would be, I choose to care about the lost. The basic fundamental thing that we have to do to begin establishing this lifestyle of evangelism, number one is we actually have to care about the lost. You see, if, if I know there are people in my city who are not in relationship with God, but I just don't really care, then there's no point in even going any further in the steps. This is paramount. This is uh, foundational, that we have to actually care about the lost. There are people that we see every day whose lives are falling apart, whose marriages are falling apart, who have bad relationship with their kids, who are in addictions and who are in brokenness and who need Jesus. And this really illuminates the motive for evangelism. You see, we have the antidote that so many people need. It's kind of like if you imagine yourself being in a room full of people who got poisoned by something, and they're on their way to dying, and you have the antidote that's going to save them. That's really what, that's how we see evangelism. And I know that's kind of like a dramatic, dark example, and I wasn't meaning to get super serious right there. But point is, is that we have something that people need. And so this is really the heart of evangelism, that we understand that there are people that are lost and that we have the antidote. A second action would be, I accept the truth that following Jesus means sharing his love with others. I really believe that following Jesus is not just about what I get to experience, but it's about me sharing that experience with others. And then the third action step would be that I choose to have a positive heart toward evangelism. I choose to have a positive heart. You see, some of you in here I know, you care about the lost. You really do. And you know that sharing your faith is a part of following Jesus, but you've witnessed so many examples of evangelism that actually pushed people away that actually did more harm than good, that you're kind of like, I just don't know what I think about this evangelism thing. I mean, if someone comes to me and asks me, I'll answer, but I just don't know what I think about this evangelism thing. You know, if that's you, there might be a number of barriers that you have to actually get by in order to have a willing heart toward evangelism. Some of these barriers, just to share some examples, first one would be this. What if the weirdness of the interaction turns people off to God? Maybe you're thinking, I don't want to be that weird Christian. What if the weirdness of the interaction turns people off to God? Well, the first thing I want to say is, what if the interaction turns people on to God? You see, we always tend to think about the worst possible scenario when we're taking a risk or we're doing something outside of our comfort zone. We always, I mean, I remember the first time I went to do evangelism, I was terrified and I, you know, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this person's going to look at me and spit in my face and smack me a couple times and, and tell me they hate me. You know, like we think about the worst possible scenario, but what if we started thinking about the best possible scenario when we went to do these, these things? And so... We can be afraid that the weirdness of the interaction is going to turn people off. And you know what? That is a possibility. But what I want to say is that that's probably only going to happen if we are, one, pushy about it. If they say, no, I don't want prayer. And we're like, oh, well, are you sure? Because your uh, eternal salvation may be at stake. (laughs) 
they're probably going to get weirded out and turned off if we're like that. Or if we speak a whole lot of Christianese to them, you know, there's, I mean, I hope you all know there's so many terms we use in the church that we all know what they mean. But you go out to people that don't go to, don't go to church, they have no clue what some of these things mean. And so we'll say a word like revelation or impartation, and they're like, we might as well be speaking Portuguese, you know? And so if you go and you speak a whole lot of Christianese, they're probably going to be turned off a little bit. Or maybe if you go and you act superior, hey, you look like you are in a really horrible place, and I'm in a great place, so let me pray for you. You know, if you go with that kind of an attitude, they're probably going to get turned off. But if you just go with a heart of love and humility, I promise you that the vast majority of those experiences are going to be, are going to be positive. There's a verse in scripture that says love covers a multitude of sins. And the way I like to understand that is when I go in love, even if I say the wrong thing or I do something that's not totally what I want to do, if I'm going in love, love is going to make up for that and love is going to cover that. And so we don't need to be worried about that barrier. Second barrier would be what if nothing happens or I'm wrong? What if nothing happens? I don't want to be that foolish-looking Christian. Well, again, I'd ask you, what if something does happen? What if you were right? You can never know until you step out and try. And then a third barrier would be, what if I offend the person? I don't want to be that pushy Christian. Well, if you go in love and you really make it your goal to honor the person, like it's actually more, I really believe this, guys. When we're doing evangelism, it's actually more important that we honor the person than we get them to do something or that we get them to say something or we get them to believe something. Honoring the person is what we need to do first and foremost. And um, opportunities to see their life change will come out of that. So, This is step one. Do you have a willing heart toward evangelism? Do you believe that there are people who need to hear this message and that you, God might be calling you to give it to them? This is the starting place. And so once you've stepped into this place, I want to do more evangelism, then you can go on to step two which is, we call this first steps. And the phrase that characterizes the first steps stage is, I want to do more evangelism, so I do it when I'm with my church. When the church goes out and does outreaches, gives away groceries, goes and prays for people, whatever it might be, I go with them um, to learn. And... I think you also see this in the scriptures. If you uh, look at Luke chapter 9, it says this. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So Jesus wasn't saying, hey guys, as you go to work today, see if there's someone that you might want to pray for, or hey, as you're going to visit your families, or hey, as you're going to do this, he's saying you are going out with the expressed purpose to do evangelism, to pray for people. And so these are what these church events are. It's we're going to gather together and we're going to try to show love to our community in various different ways. And so if you have a willing heart, if you know I want to do more evangelism but I just don't really know where to start. Coming to one of these church events is a perfect place to start. There's actually a ministry out of this church called Drive Through Prayer. And this is super easy because you hold up a sign that says free prayer, cars pull in, they roll their window down, and you pray for them. Can't get any easier than that. I mean, come on. And so they're actually doing an event this Saturday. And um, a guy named Mike Utech has, is Mike in here somewhere? Just so people, this guy over here, if you're interested, go see him. He's got a, sign, a shirt that says free prayer on it. So get your free prayer and then ask him about the, 
<laughs> drive through prayer. So this is a perfect step too. Like I said, some action steps that go along with this. One is I participate in prayer for people at church-organized events. And then two, I tag along with someone and watch them do power evangelism. That's the beauty of going to these events is that if you are still pretty anxious or nervous about actually doing it yourself, you can get paired up with someone and just watch them do it the whole time and see just how easy and not scary it is. So if you have a willing heart, maybe if God is calling you to take another step and to come to some of these church-sponsored evangelism events. Once you have kind of got comfortable with the church events, though, God might be calling you to step three, which we have titled Growing Confidence. And Growing Confidence step is this. I want to do more evangelism, so I'm starting to look for opportunities, and I do it when it feels natural. A really, really crazy story. This past week, after I shared my message last Sunday, a guy on staff here named Micah went to Walmart. And he was checking out at Walmart when this person came up to him and tapped on his shoulder. And so Micah turns around, and the guy looks at him, and he's like, hey, I just really need to talk to you. And Micah's like, okay, why? And the guy was like, I'm a psychic, and... I looked at you, and I just really see this power around you, and I just need to talk to you really bad. <laughs> Can't get any easier than that, you know? Like, <laughs> and so Mike is like, oh, okay. And so Mike ends up praying for him, and the guy accepts Christ. And <laughs> And so this is the kind of thing that, you see in step three, this is where you are, you've done evangelism, you have a willing heart, you want to do more, you've done it at church events, but you're starting to do it just on your own in your daily life. Now, this, this isn't going to be the person who's going downtown and walking up to everybody and saying, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can I pray for you? But this is the person who is starting to kind of shift their mindset during their daily life. You see, we have a very transactional mindset as we live our daily life. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? When we go to get gas, we have a transactional mindset. I'm here to get gas. I'm going to pay money. I'm going to leave. When we go to buy groceries at Kroger, I'm here to get groceries. I'm going to pay money. I'm going to leave. When we go to the bank, it's, we have a very transactional mindset on how we, and how we operate throughout the day. But Step three is about shifting our mindset from being purely transactional to being relational. So when I go to Kroger, I'm actually going to ask the person who's ringing me out what their name is and how their day is. I'm going to comment. I'm going to compliment my bank teller on something. I'm going to start engaging people that I don't know. I'm not necessarily going to pray for them unless a natural opportunity presents itself, but I'm going to shift my mindset from just, you are here to provide me a service to, I actually care about you as a human being. This is a powerful foundation for doing this kind of evangelism. At the core, we have to actually care about how people are doing and treat them like human beings. And from that, opportunities to do evangelism will emerge. A great quote that Wilson always emphasizes to our interns when he's teaching them on evangelism is that until you can develop a habit of just being friendly to people in public, you have no right sharing the gospel with them. Yeah, feel free to clap. So step three looks like you saying hi to some, you you know that awkward moment when you are like, walking next to somebody. It's like no one else is around and you're walking this way and they're walking towards you and you're about to walk right by them. What do we usually do? It's like, okay, block everything out to my left and right. Don't, don't make eye contact. That's like the default. So moving into step three is saying, hey, how's it going? And they're like, hey, fine, how are you? Good. And you keep walking. You don't, it doesn't even have to result in 
praying for them necessarily, but step three is beginning to actually act, interact with people out in public, just to be friendly to them. And then, of course, when the situation presents itself, you pray. Like, for example, Jamie and I were at, my wife Jamie, were at Olive Garden last Sunday night, and the server walked up to us and started talking to us, and we were just doing what I was saying, being friendly to her. And all of a sudden, she starts telling us about all these problems she's having and her marriage problems and problems with her kids and just is like unloading on us. And we're like, wow, like we didn't have to, all we said was, hi, what's your name? And, <laughs> and so then Jamie prayed for her and she was in tears and super moved, you know? Like that is an example of what you can expect on level three. It's just start being friendly to people and God is gonna bring opportunities your way. And so once you have... Did I go through all the action steps here? Oh, action steps. One, I am aware of others everywhere I go. Like I said, we are starting to actually become aware that this is not a robot giving me groceries. This is a person. Two, I am intentionally friendly and kind with people all the time. And then three, I pray for someone when the opportunity naturally presents itself. You see this step in the scriptures in Acts 10. I don't want to read all of Acts 10 because that'll take, you know, a long time. But in Acts 10, Peter is just chilling in a city called Joppa. And these guys show up and they're like, hey, we were sent by a guy named Cornelius. He had a vision about you. Can you come with us and share the gospel in Caesarea to this guy named Cornelius and his whole family? So Peter's like, sure. Goes with them shares the gospel, whole family gets saved. It's the first example of Gentiles being saved and, or the Holy Spirit being poured out on Gentiles. And so that is an example of step three. But after you've kind of been there for a while, God might be calling you to take another step to step four, which would be intentionality. So here's the phrase for the intentionality stage. I want to do more evangelism so I do it when it feels natural, but also, everyone say but also. but also, but also choose to do it intentionally. Choose to do it intentionally. Yeah, I'll do it when it's natural, but I'm also going to do it when it's not natural. Paul did this a lot in the scriptures. If you look in Acts 17, let me read with you verses 1 and 2, say this. Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, Thank you, Google pronunciation. They came, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. So whenever Paul would go to a new city, it's not like he'd just go to the local restaurant, sit down, have a meal, and then if, it, if a situation presented itself, he would share the gospel. He would go to the place where all the Jews gathered and he would share with them about Jesus. He would choose to do it intentionally, even when it wasn't happening naturally. So this is what characterizes step four. And an action step for step four, first would be I set power evangelism goals for myself. You see, I remember the first time that I ever saw someone do power evangelism. Wilson and I and a friend were doing a Bible study. And it was a great Bible study. We just had really insightful conversations. And at the end of it, I was like, man, that was awesome. I was ready to be done. But Wilson was like, oh my gosh, that was such a good Bible study. We got to go pray for people. And I was like, what? He's like, we got to pray for people. And this is before house screw, before we were on staff here. I was still in college. And so we go to a Walmart and we're walking around and Wilson's just, he's just walking up to people and asking if he can pray for them. I was like, what? I've never seen anything like this. And people were getting healed, and he was, God was telling him things, and he was um, knowing things about people, and some people didn't get healed that he prayed for. Like I said, it's going to happen sometimes, it's not going to happen sometimes. But it just blew me away that like, wow, for him, getting filled up means to go, that it's time to go pour out. And I just kind of realized how selfish my own faith had always been. That for me, when I had a good Bible study, it just was like, oh, that was good for me, but it's going to stop there. So anyways, that was my first experience, but then I was like, there weren't any church events that I could go to, so I had to skip a couple steps, but I remember just thinking, okay, I know I want to do this. I want to do the things that I see Wilson doing, because he's doing the things that Jesus did. 
And so what should I do? And I decided I'm going to set a goal for myself. I'm going to pray for one person in public in the next six weeks. Just one, okay? And if you are in a place where you're like evangelism terrifies you, just do that. One person in the next six weeks. So week one goes by, and I'm like, okay, it's like hanging over my head. I know I need to do this. Week two, week three, week four, week five, two days before my six-week period is over, I'm just like, oh, I just know that I need to do this. But I'm really, I'm really afraid. Um, so I just decided to do it, and I'll tell you guys, it was the most easy interaction ever. The person was so nice and so receptive. I think God was like, here, I'll give you one, you know? <laughs> Um, and so then after I did that, I said, okay, next six weeks, I'm going to pray for two people. And that's how I began to grow in this thing. And pretty soon it's like, I'm going to pray for two people and I'm going to share what I feel like God might be saying to two people. And this is where, this is what step four is. It's, I want to do more evangelism than I'm doing now. And so I'm going to do it when it's natural, but I'm also going to challenge myself and do it when there's not like an easy opportunity to get into it. And I'll tell you what, I, I would say that of all the people that I've seen except Jesus in, um, when I've done power evangelism, the majority have been when we were, me and my friends were going out purely just to do evangelism. It wasn't just like a thing that happened naturally. It was, we're choosing to do this. There is power in being intentional about this. <clears throat> so, that's the first action step. A second one would be I choose to consciously grow in my ability to talk to people I've just met. I know one hang-up for me, maybe this isn't a hang-up for you, but one hang-up for me in the beginning was I would think, okay, if I go ask this person, can I pray for you, they might think that I'm like looking down on them or looking at them and saying, wow, you really need prayer. Let me pray for you. And so it was a hang up for me. And so this kind of, you might call it a little script you start with. And this is good, especially when you're beginning to have like a script in your head of how you're going to start off the interaction. A script that I developed for myself was, hey, excuse me, me or me and my friends, I guess it'd be I, or my friends and I, are walking around here just praying for people, would it be okay if we prayed for you? And so to me, that remedied the hangup I had because it wasn't like, hey, I'm looking at you and I'm seeing you need prayer. It was, hey, we're just around here praying for everybody. Would you be someone who'd be interested in prayer? And so that worked well for me. Whenever I've wanted to go to someone and if I feel like God has given me like a factor inside about their life that I want to share with them, I'll be like, hey, excuse me, random question. And I'll say, you know, do you have pain in your neck? Or do you have a brother named Joe? Whatever it might be. So it's good to have those scripts to consciously grow in your ability to talk to people you're just meeting for the first time. Third action under intentionality would be I'm developing greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and then a fourth one is, I'm growing in the ability to be naturally supernatural. I'm not using those Christianese terms that no one's going to understand except for people in the church. I'm using everyday language, talking in my everyday voice, just being natural about this. And so that leads us into step number five, which is lifestyle. And this is, I live a lifestyle of evangelism. Personally, I don't actually think I'm at this stage, this step yet. I'm still in step four because I have to actually think a lot about doing evangelism. But in step five, what is characteristic of this step is that you don't even have to think about it anymore. Like Wilson is somebody who's been living a lifestyle of evangelism forever, and it's not like he wakes up every morning and he thinks, okay, I'm going to pray for five people today. He just does it because this is something that Jesus has cultivated in him. It's just a normal part of life, just as natural for him as breathing, is, is living this lifestyle of evangelism. So actions that go along with this, I have unconscious competence in evangelism. Maybe I learned about this in college, maybe you've seen this uh, illustration before, but 
when you're developing a skill, you go through four stages. One is unconscious incompetence, meaning I'm really bad at this and I don't even know it. Two is conscious incompetence. I'm really bad at this and I can see that I'm really bad at this. That was me when Wilson first took me to Walmart. Three is conscious competence. I'm getting better at this and I can see that I'm better at it. And then four is unconscious competence. I'm good at this, but I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just doing it. It's kind of like driving a, a stick shift, which I can't actually do, embarrassing fact. But it's like driving a stick shift. It's like you start off, so I've been told, and it's awkward. <laughs> I've actually done it a couple times. Like I could do it if I had to, but <laughs> I'm not backpedaling. Um, so like, maybe I should just give up on this example, huh? Do you, what do you guys think? But you know what I mean. Like you start off and you got to think a lot about what you're doing, but eventually you're just doing without thinking. That's what unconscious competence looks like in evangelism. So then a second action step would be, I'm not out doing evangelism, but I'm simply doing life with Jesus, and this is just part of it. And then third, evangelism isn't something that I do, but it's a part of who I am. So my encouragement to all of you is don't look at someone else when it comes to evangelism and think, oh man, I'm really not measuring up because I'm not doing what he's doing, or I'm not doing what she's doing. Look at where am I? Do I need to step into step one? Do I actually just need to open my heart to the idea that God could use me? Where am I and then what is my next step? Maybe you have an open heart and you've had an open heart for a while, but you haven't acted on it yet. Well, come to one of these events that we do at the church. That'll be perfect for you. Maybe you've been comfortable in the events. You've been doing all the events. You know, you got some church junkies around here that are at every single event ever, you know? Um, Maybe that's you and you're great at doing church events, but maybe it's time to start looking for those opportunities when you're not with the church, just to be the church on your own. Maybe you've been in that place for a while and it's time to start being intentional, to start choosing to do it even when it doesn't feel natural. Um, and, uh, if, if, and then if you're at that stage, maybe it's time to continually press in until you're doing it without even thinking. So don't compare yourself to others. Where are you? What is the next step God is calling you to take? With that said, I'll invite the worship team to come out and the ushers to come forward. We're going to receive our offering. So if you are sitting on the most left side of your row, if you could just reach down, there's a basket underneath your chair. Pick it up and then pass it across the row. That would be great. If this is your very first time, please, or if you're newer here, please feel free to pass that basket by. This is not for you. This is for people who call Vineyard Northwest their home. So, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here in Jesus' name, and we ask that you just continue to speak to us and to move on our hearts. Amen. Okay, I'll invite you all to stand. You can uh, feel free to come to the front for worship or the back or whatever. You don't have to stay in your seat if you don't want to. But let's spend some time worshiping God together.